Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. The thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. That's my favorite hymn of all time. I'm not sure what yours is, but what stood out to me as I think about this holiday is that line, the weary world rejoices. What makes you weary? What makes you weary? Maybe it might be being asked to, be pull, to pull ahead at the, at the drive-thru at McDonald's just to wait some more. Maybe it's waiting in line for gifts. Maybe it's when something breaks. For some of you, though, I think it's not those things that are just short-term that frustrate you. It's those things that we come up against over and over again that really create in our souls something weary. My name's Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, I'd love to get to know you. But what I found in my heart is, yes, I can get frustrated by things, But the things that make me weary are those things I go back to over and over again. Those conversations with loved ones, and you're just wondering, when are they going to get it? Makes me weary. Maybe it's when you're searching for a job and you feel weary because you've had to put applications out over and over and over again, and it it just makes you weary. But I think above all of that, what makes me weary are some of the things inside my own heart, some of those ugly things that I wish wouldn't come out in those explosive moments in my life where there's a conflict and that side of me comes out that I don't want to come out and I've been battling against it and I feel like, why won't, why won't you just stay in there? Why do you keep coming out? I feel weary by that. I feel weary by the damage that I might cause to someone else. I feel weary by the damage they might cause to me. It's that stuff that's inside of us that makes us feel the most weary. The weary world rejoices. I think that sense of weariness that we might feel individually is collectively true. Collectively, it's true as a culture, as a country, as a society. It just feels like there's this weariness from everything that we've gone through, from everything that we experience, that selfishness that's not just inside of me, but that selfishness that's inside of all of us, and when we come together and try to get along, it just doesn't always work, and we feel weary by it, and we think maybe if we just got better at communication, maybe if we just had better skills, a platform that would allow us to communicate instantaneously, certainly that would help our communication issues, wouldn't it? Seems to have just made it worse. And so we experience things in this world, and we think maybe if we just try harder, we'll be able to overcome it. I know science will give us the, the, it'll help us find the solution for this challenge, this weariness that we feel inside. And science has brought us many wonderful things, many advancements in medicine, but most of the time we can't even afford them. And then we look at the other things that science has also done. It's created a bomb that kills lots and lots of people. And we think, what do we have accomplished when we come together and try to resolve racial conflicts and we'll raise a statue for a civil rights leader and think, look at all that we've accomplished. And yet we've had more racial unrest in the last couple of years than we've had in my whole lifetime. And I just feel like there's this collective groaning, this collective sense of weariness, especially in the last two years. 
It's why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, this is what he said. He says, all creation is groaning. All creation is groaning. And I feel like I even see it <laughs> as I walk through the countryside because right next to me, I'll see like a, a shopping bag just blown up against the bush and there's pollution and it's just this, it's like it's groaning itself. Creation itself is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. You know, that's nothing new, that sense of longing, that weariness that we experience. It was something that's been around for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, God saw this and he said, I'm going to make it right someday. I'm going to send someone, and the book of Isaiah called it the servant. The servant will come, and the servant is going to bring about this utopia. God called it his kingdom, and he's going to bring his kingdom to earth, and it's going to come through this singular person. And they said, hey, watch for it. Look out for it. Someone's going to come. It's going to be the Messiah. And that's all they knew. And what Christmas celebrates is the coming of this person, Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be the Messiah. God cut through the weariness of the world and showed up in a bedroom with Mary and said, Mary, guess what? Your life's going to radically change. You're going to carry not just a child, but a child that's the son of God. Joseph, buckle up, buddy, because you're going to be caring for him as if he was your own. The angels showed up, and the angels showed up with these shepherds in the, the fields and said, this is really happening. This is actually occurring. And there were some people that were smart enough to be able to read the stars, and there's the special star that appeared. And so a couple years later, they find the, the baby. He's a couple years old, and they brings them these, these gifts. See, these people knew because God had told them that person that you were waiting for has come. He's come. He's the Messiah. He's here. Those few people got that memo. We have that account now in something called the Holy Scriptures, but people in that day didn't have that. They didn't have that. Most people are just like you and I. Most people never saw the angel. Most people never saw someone show up in their bedroom and say, hey, guess what? That person you've been waiting for to deal with this weariness, ta-da, he's here. Most people are like you and I. Stuck in our weariness, waiting, wondering, God, when is this utopia that you've talked about, this heavenly kind of presence where there's not going to be strife anymore, where there's not going to be sickness, where this gunk of my own heart isn't going to get in the way of me moving forward with my life anymore, when is that going to come? They were waiting, and they were looking, and they were wondering. Jesus shows up on the scene. His mom knew. His dad knew, some shepherds knew, but everyone else was watching. Who could this man be? And it's fascinating, actually, that Jesus' own cousin, this wild-eyed guy named John the Baptist, who lived out in the country, wore crazy things. Many people considered him to be a prophet. Jesus' own cousin didn't know if he was the promised Messiah. In Matthew chapter 11, this is what it says. John, when he was in prison... He heard what Christ was doing. He sent some of his followers, some of John's followers, his disciples, to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? See, John didn't even know. John didn't even know. Jesus, are, are you the one? Give me an airtight argument that you are the promised Messiah, John said. 
It's interesting how Jesus responded to him. He said, go back and report what John, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus said, blessed is the person who accepts this. John said, as the kingdom come, Jesus says, look at my life, look at what I've done. The blind have received their sight, the poor have been preached to the gospel. John wanted an airtight argument that Jesus was the Son of God, and it's fascinating that how Jesus responds to those people who might want to believe it's true, but maybe just can't quite get there yet. And maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you're coming because Christmas is a thing you do and you come to church and someone asked you to come and so you came and you're thinking, that's cool. You're singing some songs. You're standing up. You gather together. That's all great. You tell, help each other be good people. That's wonderful. But I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing. You might actually be in the same boat as many of the people around Jesus saying, how can we deal with this weariness in our soul Jesus, are you the Messiah? And how do we know that it's true? It's fascinating how Jesus responds to that. And what we're going to look at here this evening, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus responds this way. He says, come to me, all you who are weary. Say weary. And burdened. Say burdened. Jesus says, I will give you rest. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're weary. Jesus says, I will give you rest. It's really fascinating how he he used these two words here, this sense of weary. That means like an active sense of weary, like you are internally motivated. You're a driven person. You're a type A. You're a go-getter. You decided to start that business. You have this thing that compels you, that moves you forward. It's pushing at you. It's making you move forward. But here's what you also know, that when you're at the front of the line, you often get kicked because you're at the front of the line. And it's tiring, and it's exhausting, and you are pushing, and you're plodding along because you feel compelled, you've chosen it, and you're weary. That's what that word means. But Jesus didn't stop there. He used this word burden. And it, it means the kind of this passive sense. It's not something that's inside of me, but it's something that's happened to me. It's not something I chose, but it's something that happened to me. I didn't choose. I didn't choose to get this diagnosis and yet I'm struggling with it. And other people around me are saying, you're an overcomer and you feel like it's just another burden upon you that you need to measure up to their expectations of determinism. You didn't choose to lose your job during COVID. That's not something that you signed up for. It wasn't your fault that your sector just dissolved in the middle of all of this. You maybe wanted a baby and you love babies, but you didn't want it right now. And so now you have, and they're great, but they're hard and it's weary and it's upon you. You didn't choose it. It chose you. It's not something that's like pushing you forward. It's something that's like maybe pushing you down. It's a burden for you. Jesus talks to those people. He saw it in the crowd and he says, come to me. Oh, you who are weary and burdened, it's from inside you, it's from outside of you. And listen to what he says. He says, and I will give you 
rest. I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You know what a yoke is? Not like in an egg. Pretty much the only time we're going to see a yoke is if we go to an antiques place or like a bed and breakfast and you might see a yoke on the wall. A, a yoke was like a beam that was used on an animal of burden so that they could pull a load. That was what was on them. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. A, a yoke does a couple of things. It, it, it enables this animal to pull a load. And what Jesus was doing is this was a metaphor that was commonly used in that day, in that time. It meant to be tied to an obligation, like maybe your work or something. But most commonly, it was used to represent this religious law, the law of Moses, 600 some odd commands. And it was seen as a yoke that would be lost to us, but it wasn't lost to Jesus' audience. Because all around these, this audience that was listening to Jesus, there would be a Pharisee here, a Pharisee there. It was just a part of their culture. And at that point in time, if you were going to be significant in the community, you needed to be one of the religious people. You needed to be one of the holy people. And so what would happen is you would find a, a teacher of the law. They were called rabbis. And you would follow one of them, and they would have a list of rules for you to follow. So what you would want to do is you would find the rabbi that had the set of rules that you think you could follow their rules, right? Because they weren't all the same. Like this guy might make you do something, 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 and this person does it. Maybe it's a little easier than that, you know? Uh, you, know you, 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 can, you can get away with a little bit more. And so you'd find the rabbi that would kind of fit your, your jam a little bit. And so Jesus is calling that out. He's calling out this burden, this, this yoke, and it comes right out of Matthew chapter 23, where this is what Jesus says in verse 4. He says, they, the, the Pharisees, the religious people, they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. It's a burden. It's a yoke upon them. And this is what Jesus steps in and starts speaking to them. He says, I am a different kind of teacher. I'm not the same kind of teacher that you're used to. I'm not going to oppress. Instead, my burden is easy and it's light. Find rest, find peace for your soul. Author Henry Drummond says this. He says, no other teacher since the world began has ever associated learn with rest. Learn of me, says the philosopher, and you will find restlessness. Learn of me, Christ says, and you'll find rest. For your soul. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. The question is not whether or not you have a yoke on your life. The question is, what is the yoke that's on your life? Because we all yoke ourselves to something. What we yoke ourselves to is what gives us significance, gives us meaning. For these people that would chase after the law, their ability to, to conform to what it looks like to be a righteous, holy person, to have it all together, that was what gave them meaning. For us, we have different kinds of yokes. It might be your spouse. Your spouse is what gives you meaning. It might be your job. Your job is what gives you your significance. 
And the thing about these yokes is the thing that you're tied to will ultimately destroy you or you will destroy it because it was never designed to be the thing that gives you your worth. It's too much weight for it. So if you yoke yourself to your spouse... It creates an emotional dependence, and it's going to end up destroying the very thing that you desire. If you yoke yourself to your children, and the children now define you, you're going to try to live your life vicariously through them, and you're going to micromanage them, and you're going to, and you're going to, you're going to make them bitter towards you in the long run, and the thing that you wanted the most, you're going to destroy, or it's going to destroy you. Think about being yoked to like a, a horse, a powerful horse. If you were next to a horse in one of those yokes, it's powerful, it's unruly. If you started trying to pull in a direction, it's probably gonna stamp all over you, it's gonna destroy you, or you'll get tangled up in it and you'll destroy it or whatever. It's not going to be anything worthwhile. But this is what Jesus says. He says, be yoked with me because I am self-controlled, I am gentle at heart, I'm not harsh, I'm not selfish, I put others first. He says, be yoked with me. You know what a, a yoke? A yoke doesn't just allow a burden to be pulled. It ties two animals together to be able to pull in the same direction. Uh, not my current dog, but my previous dog. I found myself out on a walk with my children when they were little and in a radio flyer wagon. And the dog is yanking my arm off, and I'm pulling the kids behind me. And I'm like, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? So you know what I did? I took the dog's leash, and I tied it to the radio flyer wagon. And he was an 80-pound boxer, and I thought, maybe he's not going to be able to do this. He did it like that. It was awesome. I was like, I have just solved one of the greatest things that fathers maybe don't like doing when they're out on a walk. This is unbelievable. And so I thought, you know, but it's not fair to, like, have the dog being choked. And so I got a a harness for the dog, and I taught him to draft. It's what it's called, dog drafting. And there are breeds of dogs, like the Burmese Mountain Dog, that's made for drafting. Did you know that a dog can carry twice its body weight? It can pull twice its body weight. So a 50-pound dog could pull easily this 100-pound load. But what's fascinating is this, and that whole concept of yoked animals, if one dog can pull 100 pounds... Two dogs can actually pull 300 pounds because they, can, they, they encourage each other on. They shoulder that load. They, they help each other. And that's what Jesus is pulling to mind. Be yoked with me, and I'm going to help you. Have you ever helped someone move, and you're moving something that's rather heavy, and you realize as you're moving it, they're carrying most of the weight? And you're like, this is a sweet gig. I'm going to ask them to help us move every time because they just carry more of the weight. I had that happen with a friend of ours, Stephen, who had, who had cut down a tree and had milled his own lumber. So he had to move these huge, like, six, 700-pound slabs of wood. And so we had a bunch of guys there, and we all throw them over our shoulders, and we start going. But you know what? If you were one of the shorter guys on that line... You carry less of the weight. Thank you, John Wilson. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. And so I found, and Chris was there. He's, he's still nursing his injuries from that one. 
And so I found myself just like walking along with him, like, oh, here, I guess I'm helping hold this thing up. That's this picture that Jesus says, I've come to give you help. Be yoked with me. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. Jesus says, I am gentle. I am self-controlled. I'm not harsh. I'm going to do the heavy lifting. Instead of striving and yearning and toiling to be good enough for God, Jesus says, I'm going to do all that heavy lifting for you. And that is good, good news. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God took him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Not only does God take our sin and forgive it when we're coming to Christ, when Christ invites us, come to me, and we respond to that, not only does he forgive us of our sin, but he counts to us the righteousness of Jesus himself as if we are yoked with Christ and he's pulling all the way and we look back and say, look what I just did. (laughs) It's like when I was holding that log. Hey, guys, we're doing great. This is awesome. That's what Jesus offers. The yoke that we often wear says D-O, do. But the yoke that Christ offers is D-O-N-E. It's been finished. It's done. Your trying, our trying just makes us feel weary as we're under that yoke. Christ says, I've come, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your soul. That's, that's why the weary world that groans, why the weary world can rejoice, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that Christ has come, that he's done something new, and that he offers it to us. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. He, he, he offers us an invitation. Notice that Jesus never forces himself. He just says, the door is open. It's available for you. It's available for you, but you've got to come to me. Come to me. And what Jesus is actually doing is he's showing us not just a relationship to have, but he's showing us the way to God himself. Jesus is showing what it means for the kingdom of God to come here on this earth, this weariness that we experience and we would call out God. When we get to experience that, I want that here. Jesus would say that's found in me. It reminds me of this article that I had read by this skeptic. And the skeptic said this. He said, I'd love to believe in God. It just isn't possible. I'd like to, but if someone could bring an airtight argument, I'd like to believe. You might, you might feel that way too. And if you do, I don't, I don't blame you for that. It would be nice, perhaps, you would say, to be able to believe in God, but it's rationally difficult for me to accept. And I think that's what John the Baptist was dealing with as well. Rationally, it's hard for me to accept and understand that my cousin, this guy that I walked alongside of, is the Messiah himself. 
Here's what Christmas tells us. That God never gives us an airtight argument, but it gives us an airtight person. Never gives us an airtight argument. He gives us an airtight person. And that airtight person, Jesus Christ, is the airtight argument. He doesn't say, hey, come to the airtight argument. He says, come, come to me. Come to me. Don't come to church. Don't just come to a Christmas service. Don't come and read your Bible even. Don't come and get your life in order. He says, come to me. And when you find me, you're going to find God. If we do that, if we go to the airtight person rather than the airtight argument, if we do that, if we, if we look at this, these unbelievable claims in his life and you compare his life to his teachings and his teachings to how he lived it out, it's this inescapable airtight argument. And we see, we see God there in the middle of all of that. See, Jesus didn't just come to teach people a better way. He came to teach people how to get to the Father. And the Father, he says, comes through me. By the way, Jesus isn't saying, hey, leave your mind at the door. Reason doesn't matter. He's not saying that all at all. What he is saying is, if you want to see it, you need to look at my life. And when we look at who Christ is and what he lives out, it's inescapable. It's inescapable. He didn't send us an airtight argument. He sent us an airtight person, the person of Jesus Christ. And the challenge is if you wait for that argument to be answered, you'll be waiting forever. He is the airtight argument. You know, when I read Jesus, I hear him say, come to me all you who are burdened and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I hear him say that, I say, Jesus, why all the talk about the yoke at all? That just feels so oppressive. But I miss what he's saying in all of that statement. I am gentle. I am humble. The burden is light. I'm here to help you. For many people, the, the problem that they would have is, can I really trust who God is? And Jesus says, come to me. If you want to know what God is, look at what I offer. And what I offer is gentleness and humility. I'm not harsh. I'm not domineering. I am gentle and I am humble in heart. And maybe you're in that place where you would say, I want that airtight argument. I want it and I'm looking for it and I just am not quite there yet. I'm just not sure. Here's the challenge I would place in front of you. The challenge I would place in front of you is just begin to look at who is this person of Jesus? Because look, all of this church stuff doesn't matter one bit. What matters at the end of your life is what you do with the person of Jesus Christ. Do you trust him? And the challenge is for you to open the scripture, open these narratives, these firsthand witness accounts of who Jesus is and what he did and how he lived. And get to know that person and then as you do that, I would challenge you secondly, even if you're like, I don't even know that I believe in God. I'm trying to figure all this stuff out. I'm not even sure what prayer does. I'm not even sure if it, if it works. But just honestly go to God and pray this. Pray, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. The thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Because Christ has said, 
I've come for those that are weary and that are burdened and heavy laden, and there's rest for your soul, the thrill of hope. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Let me pray with you and just give you a chance here in these moments. Maybe you can just speak with God. God, there is weariness. I've sensed the weariness as I talk with people. I've sensed the weariness as I look in the mirror. (laughs) A weariness of the yoke that I put upon myself of, of trying to work for the approval of other people, of stretching myself too thin to try to make other people pleased with me. In Christ, I am given the righteousness of God himself, and I don't have to work for that anymore. What a glorious thing, God. And I just pray, Lord, for those that are here and hearing that maybe aren't convinced yet. God, that you would show yourself to them and reveal yourself to them. Even as we sing, even as we worship. God, help us to know this person of Christ more deeply. Pray this in his name.